You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Justin, we have a podcast. Diving, diving deep. Indeed. Diving deep into all things Texas. Both on and off the field. Here's Sean Pendergast. And Pro Football Hall of Famer. The General. Sean McClain. Welcome. Welcome to Utopia. Hey, everybody. Welcome in a mailbag episode of Utopia Football Podcast. Great to be with you. We are recording this as of right now, Wednesday, late morning, as we await the first pitch of the Astros and the Pirates. By the time you listen to this, the result of that game will probably be in the books already. But I welcome in, as always, joined by uh, my good friend and co-host, Hall of Famer, senior Texans columnist at SportsRadio610.com and, of course, GallerySports.com as well. John McClain. John, good morning. How are you? I'm doing fine. I'm glad we're not talking about the Astros, the way Ryan Presley blew that game to the Pirates, allowing a three-run walk-off home run. It just, the Astros are off to their worst start since 2016. The last year, they did not make the playoffs. And they couldn't, you know, when you can't beat Detroit and you struggle against Pittsburgh, and you lose a series to Minnesota, and you split with Chicago, these are not premier teams in Major League Baseball. What's going to happen when the schedule actually gets difficult? You mean like in a week when they play Toronto and Tampa Bay and Philly and Atlanta later this month, John? Is that what you're talking about? Exactly. Exactly. My God. Yeah, absolutely. All right, before we get to football then, John, I'm going to give you three names. Power rank them in order that you're most concerned about them, okay? starting with uh, least concerned to most concerned, Ryan Presley, Christian Javier, Jose Abreu. Uh, Least is Javier Abreu, who's a singles hitter. And uh, the worst that I'm most concerned about is Ryan Presley. I go back to that first game in which he came in, and Roger Clemens pointed out he kept shaking his right arm like he was trying to get it loose, and he has not been consistently dominant like he was last year. You know, Javier's given up too many home runs. But in uh, Abreu, you know, he's not driving in runs. He's getting singles. They're making a big deal. Oh, he's been on base 12 times. He hit in the first 10 games. Yeah, he's hitting singles. That's not why they signed him. Yeah. No, he's – yeah, he's your cleanup hitter. You're giving him tw- – you're not giving him $20 million a year to be Ichiro. 
Like I, I've been calling him Ichiro Abreu on the show because that's all. Yeah, he's just he's he's hitting singles. I don't these people that take up for Abreu. Like, and I'm not saying it's a bad signing or he's going to be bad the rest of the year. But I I said last night during the game that I said Jose Abreu has been a big nothing so far this year. And there were actually people like, well, let's wait and see it play out. I said, yeah, I, I'll wait and see it play out too. I'm stating a fact as to what he's been so far. He's been a black hole at cleanup for this team so far. He's had opportunities, Jeff. He's got Jordan Alvarez hitting on one side and Kyle Tucker on the other, two of the best hitters in baseball. Like you, you cannot create a more plush environment for Jose Abreu than to have two of the best lefty hitters sandwiched around him, a righty at cleanup. It's just, it's it's not going to get any better than that. One of the things that gets me about baseball, they always say it's 162 games. Yes, it is. But it doesn't mean you shouldn't analyze each game or each series or a streak, whether it's good or it's bad. And you see all these other teams hitting and winning, and they've struggled against bad to mediocre teams. I still can't believe they lost a series at home to Detroit. Yeah, and I know that's happened before. And when they've started slow in the past, and they've never been fast starters, at least in this current streak in which they've been to – four World Series, and I think that uh, they had they had Jose Altuve, and, of course, recent years they've had Michael Brantley early in the season, but right now it's kind of scary. And what's disappointing about it, the guys at the end of the order, they've been hitting better than we expected, especially yeah. Mauricio Dubon. Yep. I thought once you got past five or six, they were automatic outs. Those guys need to be praised. Chaz McCormick, I would leave him in the number one spot and not mess with him again until Altuve gets back in June. Yeah, Bregman, Abreu, and Pena get called into the principal's office so far this year. Pena's done some decent things, you know, last couple days. He hit a home run and a double a couple days ago, whatever. And I think he's he's not a guy that you're counting on to the level you are, Bregman and Abreu. You're not, man, honestly, just based on base salary alone, you're not counting on him as much as you're counting on those guys. So, yeah, kudos to uh, what the, what we like to call the others. You know, anytime it's not a core guy, they're the others. The others like Chaz McCormick and Dubon and some of the other guys. Hopefully, Urquidy can have another outing today like he did last time out. All right. Um, and by the time you're listening to this, who knows? Jose Urquidy may have given up five earned runs in three and a third innings. Who knows? But we're <laughs> recording this on Wednesday morning. Here on uh, the Utopia Football Podcast. All right, John, I got a few questions we'll get to in the mailbag in a second. H-O-U mailbag at gmail.com. That's the number, or I'm sorry, the email address if you um, if you want to send us a question. H-O-U mailbag at gmail.com. We're hitting the home stretch here. The draft is two weeks from tomorrow, Thursday. So we're hitting the home stretch. So your draft questions are welcomed in. We've got a few of them that we'll get to. Before we get to that, John, I called it the three plumes of smoke today on Payne and Pendergast. And you, of course, were on with Seth and I this morning. And something that you said during uh, when we asked you about the first plume of smoke, I, I want to get to. But the three plumes of smoke that I want to touch on with you that have really bubbled up over the last, I would say, one to ten days. Um, the Michael Lombardi uh, on his GM Shuffle podcast talking about a possible shift within the Texans front office. Let me read the exact quote from the podcast quote. There's a longer game to be played in Houston. I think there will be some organizational changes in Houston after the draft. I'm not saying people will be fired, but organizationally things will be shifted. Um, that's the first plume of smoke. The other two have to do with the draft itself and CJ Stroud, but let's start there, John, Nick Casario, the front office, a shift after the draft. What could that possibly mean? 
Well, if Casario was leaving, which has been rumored since the league meetings in Phoenix, when a friend of mine has been with another team a long time, told me, he said, I hear that uh, Casario is leaving after the draft. When you say been with it, when you, when you say, sorry, John, when you say been with a team, you mean covering that team, a fellow media member? No, or? no, no. This was a person that works for a team. Gotcha. If you're been with a team, you're not a media person. Gotcha. And so, uh, and he said, that's out there. And I said, well, it makes no sense. He's this, He's got another three years left on his contract, $5 million a year. He hired D'Amico, I'm told, by the McNairs. He and D'Amico worked together great. Everybody's happy over there. The McNairs are happy. Casario is happy. But he said, I'm just telling you what I'm hearing. And then a couple of media people asked me about it. And I told them it made no sense, especially why would he go back to New England? He tried to leave the Patriots to come to Houston three times. And uh, uh, he finally was able to do it when the uh, league rules changed to become a to leave a team in a front office. And so Belichick has total control in New England. Why would he go back there? And he wouldn't make $5 million. The only reason he would do that is if Belichick was going to be gone and he could go up there and have total control of the Patriots. But uh, I don't know if it's true. I haven't found anybody tell me it's true. You know, Mike Lombardi on his podcast did not say anything about Casario. You know, James Lipford's top personnel guy. And, and Mike said sh a shift. Yeah. A shift to me means people moving over, moving around. Like maybe they're going to bring in somebody from San Francisco who was close to uh, to uh, D'Amico Ryans. Maybe they're finally going to hire a guy like I've been pushing Gary Kubiak for months. Maybe they're finally going to hire a guy like Gary to come in and oversee the offense with first-time coordinator and play caller Bobby Slowick. But uh, the Casario thing that's out there the most, and as I say this, a friend of mine in the Boston media uh, texted me about just hearing something on Boston radio about Casario possibly coming back there. So when Nick, Nick talks to us pre-draft, I'm going to ask him first question. Uh, this is out there. Can you categorically deny that you're leaving the Texans? And if he says, I don't address blah, 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 say, Nick, you are not denying it. So to me, he's going to have to say uh, no. And if he continues to tap dance, that's going to give a lot of credence to it. Remember when Charlie Cashley did his last draft in 06, the best in franchise history, and then he left uh, after the draft. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, so two things, John, on that. Then we'll get to the other two plumes of smoke. The two things on that. One, there's no way that a shift means that somehow Nick is getting fired. I mean, you, the McNairs no, are happy with the fired. job. 
Yeah. So no. that's so let's put that to bed. I just want to hear Absolutely you say that. Absolutely not. Absolutely yep. not. Yep. Okay. The second thing would be, let's say that Nick does want to go back to New England for whatever reason. Either it's the job opportunity. Who knows? Maybe he want. Maybe he wants to live in New England instead of Houston. Maybe his family likes New England. It could be anything. It could be a personal matter. Whatever. Or it could be professional, and he wants to go back there. In which case, then it'd be up to the Texans to say, do we want a GM who doesn't want to be here? At that point, if you're the Texans, really, I mean, for the for the sake of the fans of the team, if nothing else, you've got to dig in with New England and say, okay, you got to give us something if you're going to take a guy who's under contract for three more years. We're not just going to let him walk out of his deal that we gave him, right? Yeah, you get a you demand draft choices. Those, those yes. things cost those kind of moves cost compensation. Yes, and he makes five million a year here. Would he, would he go back there? Is he going to get five million a year to take orders from Belichick again? Yeah, I don't know. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's I don't I I I don't know the answer to that. I mean, it's it the the draft thing. I, the, the draft thing is interesting to me. Like, it's easy with players sometimes to go. Well, yeah, this guy's a he's a average cornerback. He, a fourth round pick will get the job done. You know, this guy's an elite edge rusher. That'll take two firsts and a second. What is a GM who's overseen a team? It's won 11 games in the last three years command on the open market, John. Like, you know, we saw what did Peyton get in uh, what, what did Sean Peyton fetch for the New Orleans Saints? A first and a second, I think, right? From yeah. The, and I, I think the McNairs would play hardball on something like they that. They should. Yeah. Absolutely should. All right. So, as far as the, the, to, to sum that, to sum that piece up, um, it's wait and see, I, I would say. You know, Nick's not getting fired. We don't know what this is. Nick will meet with the media early next week, and John McClain is getting the first question. Those are the things we know, right, John? Absolutely. In fact, yeah. this person that texted me said, word is, you're the one that broke it in Houston radio. I yeah. said, nope, as soon not as you, for me. Soon I as said, you I've talked about it. Yeah, John, as soon as you said that on our show today, I said, that's going to get picked up as if it's a report. But you just talked to some person that you knew within the league who's hearing scuttlebutt. I can't wait to see what Nick does when you ask him about this next week, whenever, whatever day. Do we know what day the press conference is going to be? No, I don't know what it is, but uh, okay. I'm guessing we'll know soon. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I would hope if I'm Nick and I'm not going, I would want it to take place as soon as possible so I could put all this stuff to bed out there, right? You would think. You would think that's exactly what he would want to yeah. do. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All right, John, as far as the other two plumes of smoke, uh, the Texans not drafting a quarterback at two, which we've talked about several times on the podcast. Adam Schefter is the latest national reporter to weigh in and, and give what sounds like his opinion based probably on some conversations he had he's had with people uh, the, around the league that the Texans, no guarantee that they're going to take a quarterback at number two. Has your stance on that changed at all, John, since we've talked about it, which I know your stance has been – they're not going to go into the season with Case Keenum and Davis Mills as their quarterbacks. And Adams doing just like Peter King and everybody else. They're not pointing out what they would do at quarterback. 
they'd have to go with Case Keenum or Davis Mills in D'Amico's first year, and that'd be a huge downer. Now, if they don't like C.J. Stroud, of course they're not going to take him. I think in my mock draft, I'm doing number five uh, Thursday on uh, gallerysports.com. I'm going to have him taking Will Anderson with the second pick and Hendon Hooker with the uh, 12th pick, which I don't think will happen because Hooker turned 25 on January 1st. So uh, he would be 26 uh, next year. And he would have, he's not starting as a rookie. So he would be 26 years old when he started for the first time, maybe 27 when he started to prove something. And I don't know that this organization wants to struggle another two years while they watch a quarterback develop. But if, uh, because we know if they have Case Keenum or Davis Mills, and with all due respect to them, uh, if they, if they do have one of them as the starter, it's going to be a huge downer here. And the exhilaration over hiring D'Amico having 12 draft choices, signing maybe five starters in free agency, trading for another one, Shaq Mason, that will be a huge buzzkill. Yep, I would agree with that. And the last one, John, is just C.J. Stroud himself. Um Reports again. This is Michael Lombardi on. This is on his Vissen show, Vegas Sports Information Network show. Said he had heard he had heard rumblings from people he talked to around the league that there may be issues with C.J. Stroud and how easy or difficult he may be to coach, like coachability issues with C.J. Stroud. What are your uh, What are your thoughts on on that? When you hear something like that, is that just your standard two weeks before the draft smoke coming out on a guy? Is that a team maybe trying to mute C.J. Stroud's value a little bit? Is it are these just games that are being played right now, John? Or do you believe there's validity to that? Um, we never heard when he was at Ohio State anything like that. And I did a deep dive on him and Bryce Young last week, and I took everything I could from everybody I respect. And I never had one person say anything like that, that he was difficult to coach. I'll never forget 96, Eddie George was coming out, Heisman Trophy winner, and the Oilers liked him a lot, but there's no way he was going to be available at 16. And then it came out, he had a shoulder issue that had not been detected. It was detected at the combine, and he was going to require surgery to repair a labrum with Mrs. Rookie here. And then he got gained a lot of weight on the Heisman banquet circuit and didn't even look like himself. So the Oilers drafted him. He was NFL offensive rookie of the year and ended up with more than 10,000 yards rushing, never had a shoulder uh, surgery, and also was in great shape at the draft. Hmm. Yeah, John, I just don't know that C.J. Stroud's background, forget about everything that you in your, you know, your investigation about him and unearthing things. I mean, all the, that research is all awesome. Like, I just look at the profile of what type of player he is. He's a guy who is lightly regarded and then was able to kind of ascend to where he was able to show that he belongs. You know, he's he's always been a guy who's been kind of diminished before he got to Ohio State. You know, he's chip-on-the-shoulder guy, was never the five-star guy. He was in California at the same time as Bryce Young, and Bryce Young was always the, you know, the golden child, and C.J. Stroud was, you know, he he had to work from underneath. You know what I mean? He had to he had to work his way up. I just don't know that you are you have a profile like that and you're a guy who's not coachable, you know, like where you're a two- or three-star recruit that ascends to top-five pick in the draft <laughs> status and not take to coaching. You know what I mean? <laughs> 
it's the five star guys, the big ego guys, Jeff George, guys who are yeah, threatening to go to the transfer portal. Those are the guys that you wonder if they're not coachable. And Jeff George, first overall pick in the draft, boy, he was a great example. Ryan Leaf, another one. Yeah, those are the kind of things you should know because you spend so much time talking to the people at their school. You know, they talk, good scouts will talk to trainers, equipment guys, uh, rehab guys, weight room guys, everybody that sees them in ways the coaches do not see them. And so uh, I had not heard that about Stroud at all. All right, let's get. And I feel bad for him, too, that people are saying that if it's not true. A hundred percent. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, let's get into uh, some of these questions. I got a handful of questions here, John. If you want to email the show, mailbag at gmail.com. Uh, Manny in Pasadena, uh, John, which 2022 rookie makes the biggest leap in 2023? On the Texans. I would say Derek Stingley Jr. because he was hurt. He missed the end of the season. Jalen Petrie's good. He'll be better. But when you're picked third overall, you better become a lockdown corner. So I would look for him to make the biggest improvement. If I could pick one, John, that I want to make the biggest leap, it'd probably be Kenyon Green, uh, the 15th overall pick from 2022. Um, just honestly, purely for the optics of these Deshaun Watson picks that they got beginning to work out so we can all feel better about the team trading a franchise quarterback in his prime. Um, so, And plus, you're talking about Kenyon Green. The baseline from where he's starting from is literally among the worst at his position in the league. A big leap for him means that he's getting out of that rut and he's becoming a serviceable football player. Stingley, I just want him to be healthy. I just don't know that he was used properly last year more than anything else. I, I, you know, I don't blame him for having to play in a zone scheme like Lovey had him in. I think D'Amico's going to know much better than Lovey how to use Derek Stingley Jr. I would never take a cornerback that high if I were going to play play him in a zone. No. It's not necessary. We talked about that before the draft. You know, you saw with uh, Sauce Gardner playing a lot of man, he ended up being defensive rookie of the year. And I think D'Amico will indeed take better advantage of his skill set. And you're right about Kenyon Green. A lot of Kenyon Green's problems was getting overpowered. And he's been working out like crazy in the weight room, I'm told. Oh, good. That's good. Um, and, and, you know, John, John Mechie as well. Like, I almost feel like it's it's almost – it's 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 it feels kind of – honestly, it feels a little, like, just gauche to include him in this thing, like rookie making the biggest leap. The dude was undergoing cancer treatments. <laughs> him getting back on the field is a, is a huge leap for John Mechie, who spent more time in the hospital than he did at the practice facility last year probably – um, but uh, what we're, I mean, we're starting to get, you know, more and more dribs and drabs about where Mechie is kind of coming out. Nick had said on our show on Payne and Pendergast a couple months ago that Mechie is in better shape now than he was before he came into the building as a rookie last year. And D'Amico brought his name up a couple times in his press conference earlier this week. Do we have any expectations for John Mechie here and what essentially amounts to his rookie year? The expectations are that he's going to be there and he's going to be ready to go and participate 
in training camp, and the key is he is a rookie. So it'd be kind of hard to expect big things out of a kid, not only who missed his rookie year, but missed his rookie year while undergoing treatment for leukemia. But just having him on the field, you know, he's a slot receiver. They traded into the second round to get him for a reason. It'd be very cool if he were reunited with Bryce Young, which is still a possibility despite what everybody's saying that the Panthers are going with Young now. And uh, But uh, everybody wishes him the best. But one of the things that they liked about him and one of the things they said at Alabama is what a great competitor he was. And so I can't wait to see him in training camp. All right, next one, John. Jose says, when's the last time there's been two good QBs that actually both worked out at the top of the draft? And why does McLean believe the only intelligent thing the Texans can do with the second overall pick is take a QB, even if it isn't the one that the Texans possibly prefer? Well, first of all, it's like I've been using this example, Jose. If you are if you go and you got a chance to buy a Mercedes or a BMW, top of the line, and you make a bid, but somebody else beat you to that Mercedes, and you have to settle for that BMW, which you love too, just not as much as the Mercedes. And I think that's a good example of what they could do. Now, the reason I say they're taking a quarterback is because I don't see them going into D'Amico's first season with Davis Mills and Case Keenum as their quarterback. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he does bring up a good point, Jose, does, John, about the top two, like the, when the top two quarterbacks, like when quarterbacks have been taken one and two or maybe even like one and three, uh, you know, two say two in the top three, it is really hard to find a draft where both of them worked out, you know, if 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 not if not one of them, you know, like it's, you know, for every Peyton Manning, there's a Ryan Lee. For every Drew Bledsoe, there's a Rick Meyer. You know, for every, and then you got drafts like Mariota and and Jameis Winston went two and one in in their draft. Neither of them worked out. Goff and Wentz went one and two. That was probably one of the better ones when you consider Wentz almost won an MVP and Goff at least got to a Super Bowl. It is that is it is really hard to find a draft where two quarterbacks taken that high both end up working out in the end. Absolutely, they seldom do, and you better hope you got the right one. Yep. Uh, all right, John, Chris in the ATL says, I view the draft like a Christmas for fans. The players in the first three rounds are the big exciting gifts that were on top of your list. Players in rounds four through seven are fun, nice-to-have gifts. He says he separates rounds four through seven into two groups of players, gift card players who are safe and useful, but the value is limited. And then he says, think of like the center position or outside-of-the-box gift type players who would be really cool and exciting, but not necessarily of need. And they can be tossed later by the recipient, like an undersized speedy slot receiver with kick returning ability. So my question is this, with this draft, do you think for the mid to late rounds for Nick, he's going to be more of a gift card giver or an outside the box giver to fans? Do you see Nick as being a guy, John, who takes more guys that are just sort of useful, but kind of ho-hum, or do you see him maybe taking some guys who have that one Superman trait and they could become a big, you know, kind of a penny stock kind of thing. Like Damian Pierce. Uh, Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think with the late picks, you're not taking for need. You're trying to fill in guys who uh, say like you have, you want eight receivers in training camp and you have seven. And so you need another receiver in a late round. It's so funny. The seventh round used to be in the middle, used to be a mid round pick. Back draft used to be 18 rounds, then 12, 12 rounds, then eight, and then seven. And so um, it's funny the way how many Hall of Famers 
or who came in the late rounds or were undrafted. Of course, mm -hmm. they weren't as sophisticated then. So I think Casario likes those big, big uh, conference uh, players coming from big-time coaches, and I think that's what he'll do through most of his picks. I don't think he'll end up with 12 picks. I think it'll be fewer. I think he'll try to move up in a couple of rounds, and I hope he moves into the second round. Ideally, he'll get a quarterback, an edge rusher, a wide receiver, and a center with his first four picks. Now, what are the odds that they take care of those four needs in the first two rounds or if they have to go into the third? Uh, probably minuscule, but those are their four biggest needs. Yeah, I think they come out of the draft within the first two days with at least – of those four things, John, they'll get at least three of them in the first two days of the draft, I think. that's That would be my prediction. Chris, uh, Chris in the ATL also asks – in real life, what type of gifts do you guys prefer to receive? Gift cards or outside-the-box gifts? Are you a gift card guy, John? My wife won't give gift cards. She gives presents. Okay. So you so by so by proxy, then you're a present guy because that's what yeah, you I'm a present guy because I have to be, and uh and she never gives me anything outside the box. It's things that she knows that I either want or need. Like She drafts for need, right, John? She gave me a big flat-screen TV this year at Christmas, which is the best gift she's ever given me other than a than a week in Vegas when I went for the first time. Ooh, that's fun, a week in Vegas. Um, I'm a gift card guy, Chris, just so you know. I like gifts, but gift cards, the gift of shopping, I'm down with, as long as it's um, somewhere that I, uh, that I like to shop, and especially if there's alcohol involved. I like um, to have just cash. Yeah, well, there's websites, John, where you can take your gift cards and swap them out and get cash, but you know they skim some off the top because they're going to have to make money from it, right? Yeah. So, um, all right, a couple more here. Uh, and by the way, if you want to email a question in, if you're thinking of one right now, you're like, I'd love to ask these guys this, mailbag at gmail.com. Uh, two more. John and Memorial, if the Texans trade back from number two overall, do you guys have a spot that you don't want them to move past in moving down? Also, do you have a minimum amount of draft capital you'd need them to obtain in a deal in order for them to trade down from two? That's an interesting question, John. Do you have if they trade back from two? I know we all want a quarterback, but let's say they don't want a quarterback. I would prefer they trade back than just draft Will Anderson. Um, do you if they were to trade back? Well, first of all, are you okay with them trading back? And if so, do you have a spot that you go, okay, I, I'm cool with them trading back, but I don't want them to move past seven or past 10 or whatever the case may be. If they're not, if they're not going to get a quarterback, I'd like to see him take Will Anderson. My second choice would be Tyree Wilson from Texas tech. A lot mm -hmm. of people love Tyree Wilson. In fact, I saw, can't remember who the draft, who, who the mock was, but who did Wilson coming to Houston, but they would have to get to trade down a second round pick this year because, uh, and then I think they would need another third rounder this year. Now they're not going to keep all those picks that would give them 14, but it would allow them maneuverability. And I think if, uh, it, if you go out of the top four, because I think Arizona is going to trade, you're not going to get one of those four quarterbacks. Mm -hmm. If if you say they did like him and hooker and they had no problem waiting on him to, to play when he was 26 and then maybe show some development when he's 27 they had no issue with that. Then, uh, you know, and they thought they could get him at 12, which is not, there's no guarantee they're going to, because a lot of people have really liked Hendon Hooker, yeah. especially since they've started talking to him, seeing how smart he is, 
how analytical, uh, what a great leader, charismatic, got great character. So, uh, and I do think they need a quarterback, but I would think they need to get a two and a three this year and something next year. And yeah. if, they went, if they went down, say, past the top six or seven, they better get a number one pick. I agree. And yeah, it's all a sliding scale, you know, depending on how far they move down. That's what the the further they move down, the higher the price is going to be for the team moving up to get the pick. Obviously, I just my my slot is right about seven where Las Vegas is picking. That'd be a logical team for them to do a deal with because of the relationships there. Right. Casario and McDaniels, yep. Casario and Ziegler. Yep. Um and, and and that's a QB needy team. I don't care if they sign Garoppolo. That team needs a quarterback moving forward. Garoppolo's not a franchise quarterback. I know they I know they signed him. He's going to be their starter this year. But that's a team that I could see wanting to move up and get, say, C.J. Stroud. Seven, I feel like you, you still got a pretty good shot at getting one of the better, you know, like one of the tippy-top players there. Because there's going to be at least three quarterbacks, maybe four. There's going to be Will Anderson. And Tyree Wilson, Tyree Wilson is the guy. Like if I move past, if I move down seven and Tyree Wilson were still there at seven and I picked up a, say a couple of twos or something like that for them to move back five spots, I can get with that. I like Tyree Wilson, especially if they wind up with a quarterback a little later on in the draft. I can get with that. I want Stroud at two, John, but there are scenarios that I can still get excited about with the Texans as long as they're making good deals, you know? People that love Tyree Wilson are banking on him doing a lot more than he did at Texas Tech. Yeah, he's a and, physical uh, beast. He is, and he's coming off an injury. He'll be healthy. But, man, if you draft him up that high, you better be right. The more I listen to D'Amico Ryan's talk about character and all that, the less inclined I am to think, say, Jalen Carter was – they traded down and Jalen Carter was there. I don't think they would take him because that would just go against – Everything they're talking about character. Yeah, Carter's another guy, though. Carter Carter is another guy who would may, I think is going to occupy a spot in the top six. I know the Texans aren't going to take him, but if you're looking, let's say they move down to seven, you got to hope that maybe all four quarterbacks get taken there, and then Jalen Carter and Will Anderson are the other two, and then Tyree Wilson gets to you at seven, and you've picked up a couple picks along the way, a couple decent picks for, for moving down five spots. I can get with a get with a plan like that. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. All right, last one, John. Uh, Michael says, I heard Sean and Seth talking about the dream scenario in the division. And this is, John, when Seth and I were talking about one of our, we do a mock draft uh, injection, we call it, every day yeah. at 740. Yeah. And one of the ones we did had what I, Seth and I both agreed was a dream scenario, just in terms of intrigue. Texans take Stroud at two. Tennessee trades up to three and takes Richardson. Indianapolis takes Levis at four, <laughs> which would give... <laughs> Which I don't think is totally crazy. If you want, it's to, not. It's not. Uh, you'd have a division with Trevor Lawrence and then three <laughs> of the top four rookie quarterbacks. John, you could. We can sit here and say, would that make you nervous? Or you think it'd be fun? I think it'd be fun as hell. I think having the AFC South no longer be a neighborhood where you're just trying to have the nicest house on a crappy street to have it actually be a nice neighborhood again with some quarterback intrigue. 
would be, I say again, I don't know that it's ever been that in its history. It always feels like it's been somewhat downtrodden. Well, how do you feel about that scenario, John? How, how much juice would these AFC South games have if we're talking about Lawrence, Stroud, Richardson, Levis, all in the same division, at least out of the shoot while they all haven't been busts yet? I think it would be outstanding. It'd be yeah. great for the division, be great for the teams to watch how the teams put talent around them, how they coach them, who takes to it, who who jumps out of the gate, you know, who comes around the stretch. And uh, I think it'd be tremendous. We've never had four top four picks be quarterbacks. Maybe they will be this year. You know, Arizona holds the key. I don't see the Cardinals with all their needs staying at three. I'm guessing Indy's going to swap with them so they can have a choice of two quarterbacks. And then Arizona would go to four and probably trade down again to a team that wanted that last quarterback and they can stockpile draft picks, but that would be great. That'd be fun. It'd be so much fun. Absolutely. All right, John, what do you got going on on your various platforms? Uh, mock draft five coming up on uh, gallerysports.com. I have a column on gallery sports today about Nick Serio with Bryce Young and CJ Stroud. And I'm writing a column for sports radio 610 today about these rumors about the front office and Casario, you know, Michael Lombardi saying there's a shift doesn't mean that there's a big change, but uh, uh, I'm going to speculate on all of it. And then I'm going to put out what I heard at the league meetings about Casario and new England. And right now I got to call my buddy back said, they're talking about you on radio in Boston. That's always good because somebody heard what I told uh, you and, and uh, Seth Payne Wednesday morning. I know. I guess I need to tweet that out, John, to make it seem like you broke news on our show today. That's <laughs> This is how we get Payne and Pendergast into the national consciousness, I guess. All right, John, great stuff as always. I enjoy doing this with you. It was a lot of fun. Thanks. Hey, my pleasure, Sean. Thank you very much as always. All right, good stuff. That's the Hall of Famer, John McClain. If you want to email us a question for next week, draft is getting closer and closer. HOU mailbag at gmail.com. Big thanks to Figgy Fig for getting this podcast out to each and every one of you. Click that subscribe button that you might see right there on your podcast app or on your laptop or wherever it is you listen to your podcast and you can check us out uh, or you can get the podcast sent to you. Each time we drop a new one, you don't have to go looking for it. It'll come right to you. Technology is a beautiful thing. So click that subscribe button. We appreciate that. We appreciate all of you who've been listening to the podcast. Exciting times ahead to be sure. Um, so that is it for the Hall of Famer, John McClain. I am Sean Pendergast. We are out of time. We will see all of you next week for a couple more episodes of the Utopia Football Podcast. Have a great day, everybody.